Hello. Hello and welcome to the Betsy, Betsy Boss podcast. podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is the final piece of our Jean Benet Ramsey triumvirate. Whoa! And, <laughs> That's a big I know. Word there. And we couldn't be more excited because the participation has been oh my God. off the chain. Loved y'all. it. Everybody has been so excellent about calling in, writing messages. We've heard from a ton of different people. And we have a couple of return listeners who have come back to give us more. And some of these folks, my God, y'all are so invested. You are so knowledgeable. And we're just so thrilled to have your input. Yeah, just even your personal, I'm sure you'll get into this too, but even just kind of your personal thoughts on things, experiences. And yeah, it's been really interesting to see. Yeah, it's so special. So I just wanted to highlight some of these folks again because – Honestly, it makes the show for us to have this degree of participation and this degree of excitement about our topic, which is, it's just fantastic. And it gets us more excited about the topic, not that we weren't already, Um, but we Yeah, but it's just cool to see other people just as excited about, you know, what we're going to be talking about. Exactly. So I just want to give a shout out to Glitter Gypsy, who is Justine, our good friend, and she was the one who brought the pillow on the yes mm-hmm, on the counter to our attention. It was by the pineapple dish. She also read something that she had never seen before. She told us that apparently the housekeeper, who we're going to talk about this evening, she actually said that the white blanket that was under the body on the wine cellar floor was supposed to have been in the dryer the morning of the murder. And she says that only somebody in the family would have known that the blanket was in the dryer. Apparently there was like a pink nightgown kind of statically clinging to the blanket as well, laying on the cellar floor. So that sort of, again, points the finger at the family. And I just love those little tidbit details that I wouldn't have known this. I wouldn't... don't think I would have come across that without that message. Exactly. And Justine also brought up the fact that they never deposed the 911 operator for the original call that Patsy um, gave when she called in. And it's just odd that they didn't depose her. So to me, this call sounded very genuine. It sounded like any other 911 call to the untrained ear. But apparently the operator of the 911 phone line thought that it was completely the opposite just heard holes in patsy's voice her testimony her story she said it sounded illegitimate it didn't sound quite right especially the fact that we talked about um patsy said we have a kidnapping instead of my daughter's gone yeah i i get this i don't know i have a hard time getting into the the analysis of of word choice that to yeah. me uh, it's hard to know yeah, in that moment how say. people handle grief how people handle shock again I mean this is another similar situation but Patsy called herself the mother instead of her mother right um, we talked a little bit about that with Justine and that sort of bothered both of us because it goes to the extent to identify herself but it already kind of puts this weird distance between Patsy and Jean Benet as though you know, this is a job position. This is, I'm the mother, I'm the mom, rather than I'm her mother. Um, So our friend Aubrey Fouts just finished Burke the Brute Part 2, she called it, which I love her for coming up with that. (laughs) We're always thinking of little alliteration. Yes, funny little titles. Yeah, cute little titles. 
And she wanted to mention that she watched this docu-series that reviewed the 911 call, and it actually sounds in the background, like Burke says, something to the effect um, of, you know, bothering Patsy while she's on the phone. And Patsy says, I'm not talking to you. Um, I did I did see that on one of the documentaries, yeah, that it they filter it down, I guess. It's really hard to hear, though, because she thought she hung up the phone, but she didn't put it fully in the receiver. So it's it's really muffled and difficult to hear. But, um, you know, in that recording, in that cleanup or whatever, you can hear definitely something afterwards. Mm-hmm. And then our friend Megan Kusky further analyzed this background noise in the background of the 911 call. And in the CBS documentary, you know, apparently they went into this further analysis of the call, and Megan was mind-blown by this. She said she thought she clearly heard that John and Burke were saying, John, starting with John, we're not speaking to you. Right. Burke saying, what did you find? Emphasis on the did. However, she's not sure the combination of words that she heard from Patsy. She heard either, what did you what did you do or help me Jesus what did you do right maybe even what did you do help me Jesus but also the 911 call itself sounds scripted and forced she said the oh my god specifically out of Patsy made her cringe because it sounded so fake and then one other point that Megan made that I was really interested in because I'm reading a book right now actually about the kind of explosion of psychological drugs to treat anxiety and um depression yeah in the 90s which is so funny because obviously that's where our case takes place and Megan was reading the book that John and Patsy wrote called Death of Innocence and what really surprised her about that book was how open Patsy was about her use of Valium and oh. yeah, and she thinks some of her use hmm. of the drug was even a little bit before John Bonet died. That's interesting. The interviews that they did right afterwards, she knows that there was one with Larry King where it's really obvious that Patsy is yeah, just sort of I blitzed know, out. I know there's you know the one. I know there's one, yeah, where she's like, if I were a resident of Colorado or a yeah, Colorado or whatever, like Boulder, yeah, she does not look not look good. Yeah, and Megan talks about the same thing this kind of dazed sleepy look yeah. she has during interviews there's a couple interviews that seem really scripted it seems like john's feeding her the lines and it seems like at times she would even sort of forget her lines and then john would kind of prompt her or whisper to her um and it's sort of it's hard to hear john but megan says that she noticed one day when she was really re-watching the interviews and paying close attention that john was really kind of needling her with her lines interesting um so she's wondering if there's a little bit of memory loss which is definitely a sign of benzo abuse oh Um, interesting yeah and burke also apparently said something in an interview like a year after the murder where he characterized his mom as going psycho the morning of the murder which is strange oh yeah i did see that yeah right and Mm -hmm. it's unusual that he would characterize it that way at least to me mm-hmm. i mean at what point would she really go psycho i could see if so that part was actually um when he actually no i'm not sure i think it may have been after she was found um i can't remember if it was after she was found he also described her when she came and like ran into his room and 
like swung open the door to see if he was still in there and then closed it. So I can't remember which instance he was describing, but it was definitely right around the whole event. Right. And, you know, down that same rabbit hole, we were sort of touching on Burke being just socially awkward in general and maybe even <laughs> autistic because honestly, well, it's okay. I mean, who knows? But um, he obviously has trouble connecting and has trouble kind of expressing normal emotions Mm -hmm. especially in those later interviews where he's got a big grin on his face just unusual Mm -hmm. especially I mean granted a lot of time has passed it's been two decades at this point but still I mean your sister died and you look back on it with a grin I don't know I am surprised he he didn't get like he clearly didn't get coaching or or you know social or not social media public appearance prep beforehand because no I mean who is handling this guy yeah which he definitely should have exactly and what's strange too I mean whether it was an accident or not I don't even know if he knows that he did what he did if he did did, it in fact um and Megan sort of said and I think this might hold water when John dies Burke very well may crack and pin the blame on John and Patsy um, and, you know, seeing how Burke has kind of cashed in on the rest of this situation, right. with the big lawsuit, et cetera, she feels like he could definitely cash in on this as well. Interesting. All right. So I thought I would start this one off because this is our third part here. We're going to go into the intruder theory. And I thought I'd just start listing all the things that kind of point to that possibility or questions that are kind of left open in this case. Excellent. First of all was the fact, well, this doesn't really point to an intruder, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't go against it. The fact that the alarm system was turned off. So somebody definitely could have gotten in. Um, We have the broken window in the basement. Oh, I didn't know there was a broken window in the basement. Well, don't get too excited. It's It's not what you think. So John had a habit of apparently forgetting his keys, and so he would break into his own house. Yeah. Great. Yep. So yep. full-blown red herring. Yeah, and he said he did that. He said that window he he did. Oh, my gosh. Um, and you can't think of another way to break into the house without Well, he's apparently did it to a bunch of, like, wow. areas. So. It's Colorado. I mean, yeah. it's cold. It's I, not I, like... That's what I thought. It's like... And it's, like, fully broken. It's not just, like shattered or like spider you know cracked there's like a hole in it well I'm sure if he had to crawl through well it it opens it's almost like little square windows kind of oh okay so if he just broke through so we broke and yeah exactly got the latch or whatever um and so that window on the morning fleet who we remember here our buddy fleet white um he couldn't remember if the window itself so there's a picture and the window is opened also like it's it's swung open he can't remember if the morning of when they were looking for her body in the basement whether the window was actually open Mm. or not and then underneath the window Uh is the suitcase we were talking about okay and there's also you can see in a picture i should have brought a picture of this up but you can see kind of like a scuff mark 
on the wall too. Oh geez. So the, and this suitcase, going back to the housekeeper again, she really is involved here in the yeah, story. Yeah, the housekeeper's a real she, member of the family. She also knows where everything is. Right. Who is this, Mrs. Doubtfire? Well, she, so she said, and so did John, I think, that this suitcase was not kept in that area. Oh, okay. So yeah, so, so it looks like it was planted there. Or it it looks used it like to climb yeah, in? it was possibly used to get out actually to oh, like okay. prop themselves Boost up. You up. Yeah. Yep. Um, but the interesting thing, another theory on the suitcase was that they may have actually tried to put JonBenet's body in there Ugh. and get her out, but then the suitcase wouldn't fit through the window. And the reason that they say that, and I'm not fiber evidence, I'm like. Mm, but they found some fibers from her pajamas that were consistent in the suitcase. Oh, okay. Which is ooh, a little, a little creepy, creepy to think of. Yeah. Um, also, some other weird things in the suitcase. There was also like a, a blanket or something that apparently came from John Andrews' bedroom or, or belonged to him because it had his semen on it oh god so john yeah. andrew being one of the original children <laughs> the original, from the, ori- the original the og members john ramsey children yeah. the original john jr exactly so we also have john benet you of know. course um wow that's yeah. disturbing and semen then, on the blanket man oh yeah. man it's just all the family members are open to attack here aren't they well and there's there's another weird thing in there too that there's in the evidence, it's listed as a Dr. Seuss book, but apparently it has adult themes to it. Whoa! Like, apparently, and I looked this up, they never named what the title was, um, but there's a couple books that were written by Dr. Seuss. They look like your typical Dr. Seuss book, but they're adult themes. Oh, my God. I'm yeah. thinking, oh, the places you'll blow. One or... fish. <laughs> one fish, two fish, red fish, blue balls. <laughs> seriously horton hears a hoe i do do not like small dicks and i don't know oh <laughs> uh, yeah um so that was weird that is weird yeah um another these are just weird little minor things and i was kind of inspired by some of our listeners with their cool little details um the ruffle. Here's the one I have a picture of for you. Oh yeah. The ruffle under John Andrew. John Andrew's looking a little. Yeah, John Andrew's not looking too great right now. Yeah. Man, where's everybody getting on Seriously, him? Seriously, he's he's actually there's another beast that he's kind of involved in, as in like ties to his room. Oh dear. But it looks like the dust ruffle, um, kind of looks like somebody could have been hiding under there, oh. and kind of come out oh it kind of does i mean i can see it but also their house is a mess yeah so and granted i mean this is like so they tell you not to wear stripes for a reason when you're fat people okay (laughs) so this is a striped ruffle it's It's got vertical stripes it's not great looking no and you know the reason that they tell fat people not to wear stripes is because it shows every curve (laughs) and so obviously it's a very pronounced curve where somebody presumably crawled out from under the bed but again i think it's just the stripes that make it look so pronounced circumstantial there to totally oh that's clear evidence i thought you were gonna say there was like blood on the ruffle or something oh my god yeah no that would have been i feel like if there was more stuff like that it probably well maybe we'd be closer to solving it at least who knows who knows um 
a couple other things that I just kind of baffled me. Mm. Um, I think it was the first episode where I was talking about how there were practice ransom notes made. Yep. And the impressions on yep. the back of the pad. On the pad. But where those were never found. So what happened Oh, to that's them? strange too. Do you think that somebody... Wow, I really do wonder what they did. Do you think right. they ate them? Do you think well, that's they... What I was trying to think. I was like, did they try to stick them in the garbage disposal? I was trying to think of something yeah. that could actually like... Destroy it. Destroy or it. burnings. Right. Like that. Did they have a fireplace? I mean... Yeah, yeah, that's only true. Knows. And also their house. So I watched this um, video of them walking through the house when it was like all of their stuff still in it. Their house was, especially the basement, was atrociously cluttered i know we talked about it before but it was like not the wine cellar not the beautiful wine wine cellar cellar with the mold on the floor without a single (laughs) thing of wine in it naturally it's the wine cellar you know dare to dream the casual wine cellar Mm -hmm. um another thing was she had duct tape on her mouth and they never found the roll the roll yeah wow so that's kind of interesting too um it's just that type of thing. Same with the rope. They didn't find the rope that was used. Um, and I guess all of those kind of missing objects point more at an intruder than somebody in the house. I mean, I guess it could go either I know. way. It, it doesn't necessarily, you know, like it, it could have been there. That's the thing, too. They weren't great with. I mean, they eventually did look through the house for days they were going to turn it over at first within 12 hours, which is insane yeah, that's for how ridiculous. big the house is. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of that whole thing that like, well, was it there? Does it matter? But it is interesting. I don't know that they didn't find those things. Yeah, it's strange for sure. Yep, yep. Especially when they found all these other versions of the note. I right. mean, that's what know. really I because I don't know if they'd be smart enough to get rid of it I don't know I don't know yeah I really wonder too because they weren't smart enough to get rid of the impressions and they weren't smart enough to use an outside piece of paper an outside pen and they gave them the notepad like Mm -hmm. it wasn't even like they were they picked it up when they were looking through the house like the Ramseys handed it like gave it to them I I forget what the reasoning was but um like I don't know you would have thought they would have tried to conceal that maybe right if they had written the note yeah like why leave the notepad there that just makes it even more like what's going on why did they write it on the notepad so true yeah it's interesting Hmm. um and then of course the dna so this is the big one so i think we mentioned before the dna was found on her fingernails and then in her underwear and also on the like rim of her long, long johns that matched. There was also a separate, two other separate profi- profiles. So you have the one that's found on her body, and then you have um, a profile found on the handle of the garrote, and then on mm. the rope is another one. Oh, geez. So it's like, were there three people involved? Right. Or is the evidence just really not that reliable? Or not important or not important yeah like the the thing that they love to say is that especially on her clothing the dna could have come from the manufacturer right manufacturer and if we're going that far back i mean think of all the places that clothing has been on her body like you know she's walked through life with those things on and if you can still catch the manufacturer's trace elements you know of their 
So there's actually something interesting, though, about the... Because they think it came from the underwear. And that underwear was actually new out of the package that night. Oh, weird. Yeah, she, like... It, it was weird. She threw a fit about wanting to... Apparently, according to Patsy, like, threw a fit about wanting to wear this underwear that Patsy had gotten for um, her niece for Christmas. Oh. And hadn't given it to her yet. And then... So it was too big for JonBenet, too. And then Patsy was like, fine, you can wear it. And so she opened it up and she put it on that night. Okay. So it would be pretty new out of the bag. And the other interesting thing is that this underwear was made in Southeast Asia. So that would have been where the like DNA, you would have thought, would kind of trace back to someone of that sure. origin. But it goes back to a Caucasian male. Oh, wow. Okay. So who knows? So who knows? It could really go either way. Yep. Yep. So it's kind of like, take it or leave it. Yeah. In this other podcast, they were talking about doing that kind of familial, going back through the history type of thing, and the cops would not comment on it. So are they doing it? Are they in the middle of it now? Like, who knows? Right. Where did that ever go? Yeah. That would be really interesting, I think, if they were able to do that in some way. Yeah, that would be great. Oh, my gosh. So in a documentary I was watching, they were interviewing John Douglas, who is this famed uh, criminal profiler, and he was actually the kind of basis for that whole show Mindhunter. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... It's a classic. He knows his stuff. Um, He said that parents who kill typically have somebody else find the body so this is another one that i think goes both ways because you had john who brought down good old fleet Mm -hmm. into the basement but he didn't have fleet find the body right he found it himself right like usually apparently parents don't want to be the one to identify well have to be the ones to like pick up and handle their dead child like you know what I mean? Right. Find even if they and, did it, even or if they especially if, they, especially did it, if I guess. they did it, they want somebody else to be the one, one to like clear them in a way because it's like kind of this situation where it's like, well, why did the parent find? Right. You know, why, why did was the you parent think to go in that find room right why away? Would you, yeah. Be yeah. The one to find her. Huh. Exactly. But that one can go either way because he still brought him with him. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, they said that. Uh, parents usually kind of stage it to look peaceful to the crime scene and this was anything but like she still had the duct tape on the mouth so why do parents do that presumably it's just kind of like a last loving act like right like there's still like some parental tie so like even if they did it they still want to it's still like their child and right so it's like a final resting place kind of thing right you know, wanting to absolve themselves maybe a little bit, even right. though they did it. Ugh. <laughs> Creepy. Yeah. yeah, it's a weird, uh, yeah, I wonder if it's even like a distancing thing or like, or like making it lesser in their mind of like a horrific event if they leave them in this kind of peaceful way. Maybe. I don't know. Um, and that's kind of the thing I was, that was just crazy to me too, is why would they kill her in such a violent yeah, manner? Like, yeah. And they didn't the... need to. I mean, she was a six-year-old girl. Probably if they got a really good blow to her head, she'd be dead. Right. I right. mean, they're lucky that 
or just lucky, or just but... suffocate her with a pin. like right. i know that sounds awful but like this is a really personal terrible way to kill your own daughter yeah and we talked about it actually i think we talked about it off the air that oftentimes if it is a family member you don't have the situation where somebody murders somebody and is able to look them in the eye right, usually right. it's you know, in some way or another, they're not facing the person who's being killed. Exactly. So, you know, what would be much more normal is, like you said, suffocation with a pillow so they wouldn't have to see her face, wouldn't have to confront, you know, face to face, eye to eye, the truth that they were killing their daughter. Right. This is so grotesque and violent. And and so up, up and personal, like you're saying, too. Right. I um, mean, it is so... Somebody would have had to be face-to-face with her. I, yeah, I, that's... And she also was clawing at her neck, I think, like we said, too. So I just can't imagine a parent doing that. And I know that's always the thing, like, oh, you can't imagine a parent doing that. But to me, they don't come across as the type of people that would kill their daughter in that way. Right, in such cold blood. Yeah. Yikes. Well, and another interesting thing he was saying, too, was that this is obvious. Okay, if we're going with the Burke did it theory and they're covering it up, this is not a planned event. This is a, like, hectic, you know, very kind of frantic, stressful event, and they're Mm -hmm. trying to figure out how to cover it up. And he said that killers... Well, not killers, just just anybody that would kill um, in a situation like that where it's just kind of this big stressful moment situation revert to what they know best. Okay. Or what they feel most. So why is a garage? Why would that be? What you know best. What you know best. Like, Mm. I just can't see that. Yeah, that's odd. I mean, and again, I just don't. If they wanted to make this all go away and wanted to cover up for Burke or whatever, I mean, there's so many other ways not to be morbid or weird, but there just are a lot of other ways to right. skin no, a cat, exactly. as they like, say. And, and this was, like, John Bonet, as we saw from the Christmas letter and everything, she was their pride and joy. So I just, I don't know, that just doesn't connect for me. No. And then another thing is the fact that and it's not exactly the same, but the fact that when Burke hit her with the golf club, she, Patsy was didn't hesitate to take her to the ER right away. It wasn't like she tried to cover it up or, you know, anything like that. So if something happened here, I don't know. And it's not like she was bleeding anywhere or anything right. like that. So I don't know why she wouldn't have done the same thing. Exactly. No, that's a really good point. Yeah. Because why would she... I don't know, like how useless did it have to look to revive right, her right. that she just decided to say, oh, well, he went 80% of the way. Let's just kill her. Right. Off. In this awful way. In this awful way. Yeah. I mean, I, w- I could see if Burke had nearly killed her or had, you know, gotten her to the point where she was brain dead or would have a terrible life had right. she been revived, you know, but... I mean, just a good whack on the head with a flashlight. He's done that before, like you said, with a golf club. And that probably hurt a lot worse. Yeah. And I mean, there was speculation that she could have been seizing or like something like that, which would look, give more indication that like, oh, this is not good. But even that, I don't know. There's there's no blood. And I feel like for people, blood, (laughs) as you know, just like, 
heightens the situation and makes it seem, especially from a head, like a head wound. Yeah, and it makes it more of a panicky yeah. situation where you think, oh my God, like how, this how is how are really happening. Yeah. yeah, what do we do here? Yeah. But yeah, she just sort of passed out or. Yeah, or even if she was seizing, I don't see that as, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that would be necessarily enough to dissuade them from trying, trying to, to revive her. her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's just very odd to me. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I think it would be interesting since the last episode was focused solely on Burke having done the crime. Right. And not doing the time. <laughs> now it might be interesting for us to unpack the rest of the theories and the rest of the potential suspects yeah. in this murder. Yeah. So maybe we want to start with the school teacher, John Mark Carr. Yes, yes. The most recent, most... Probably the most, like, famous kind of potential perpetrator here. And just strange. So Very weird. In 2006, this guy, he's a former school teacher. Out of the blue, this guy comes and confesses to the strangulation of John Bonet. Not only did he confess, he gives graphic, weird, sexual details as to how he did it. He gets arrested in Thailand, where he was living, Mm -hmm. basically, like on the lamb after he got um, stuck with child pornography charges in the United States. He's awful. So gross. He's 51 years old now. He apparently brought himself into this whole situation by reaching out to somebody at the University of Colorado Boulder, um, another professor named Michael Tracy. And he reaches out an email with regard to a documentary that Tracy was making about John Bonet. One of the emails was super disturbing, and it basically said that he had this sick fascination, this sexual fascination with Jean Benet, and thank God this teacher, Mr. Tracy, reports Carr to the police. They arrested him in Bangkok um, as being a potential suspect. I remember this, too, when he was on the news and everything. I kind of do, too. So he gets flown right away to Boulder and gets questioned. But then he gets cleared after his DNA didn't match the profile of the waistband um, DNA on the Long Johns. Um, But it definitely, this whole confession had a whole bunch of weird diary entries um, that were apparently written from the scene of the crime. And apparently Carr characterized the whole strangulation as a love game gone wrong. And it's this creepy love letter. It's just completely nasty. And this guy is just off his freaking rocker because it sounds like he probably didn't do it. Yeah. And so now he's claiming, too, that, well, my DNA doesn't match because I was there. I didn't say necessarily that I was the one that, like, did it you know, whatever, but I was there with somebody else that was doing it. Right. And why Why do you want to be so involved so badly? Yeah. Just because you're obsessed with this little girl and you just had to be There's involved? something wrong. Something's There's... very wrong and it just, yeah. it doesn't hold water. I mean, it's creepy that he had such an urge to confess right. and, and such confess an in such detail. Yeah. yeah, but my God, like, calm down, buddy. The one thing, though, that I do find just extra creepy about him whether it's true or not Mm -hmm. i need to look up we need to tag this podcast or something because i feel like we got to give credit because yeah um but it was really interesting to hear i had never heard this before there's a video of john benet i think it's like several days before christmas and she's performing in a mall 
a nearby mall like singing or whatever oh god and it's super creepy there's so she's on the floor kind of and there's maybe like two steps up behind her like a little platform like something these men are like a little bit elevated behind her and there's a group of them just kind of talking this one guy has his back to her and then you can see him all of a sudden turn around and just like lock in on her performing oh my god and apparently it's really difficult to see it's pretty blurry but apparently according to um john mark carr's family like his wife at the time and i think one of his children or something like that they all identified it as being him wow which who knows who knows but it's super creepy like it's, it's absolutely horrifying yeah. i mean what the hell what a yeah. wing nut Ugh. yeah just disgusting Whew. do you want to focus on the housekeeper next oh i didn't Mrs. go into Doubtfire. that all right. Well, I know a bit about it, but yeah. So as we discussed, the housekeeper was super involved, almost <laughs> too involved. She, she might as well be. Yeah, she knows where everything she is. She knows what where all the, the nooks and crannies are. She knows yeah. the dryer schedule. Come on. <laughs> Apparently, she worked as, for the family as their housekeeper for years. Yeah. Um, and her husband was their handyman, so she had a key to the house. She right. Had a key I to the streets. I know they were looking for that too. Yeah. It's like, yep. Who else has access to the house? And, oh my God, if you guys saw a picture of this woman, she looks like Tootsie. Have you ever seen the movie Tootsie? <laughs> no. It's Dustin Hoffman oh dressed as a woman. No offense. Um, so really, Mrs. Doubtfire. So Mrs. Doubtfire. And essentially, I mean, the police were baffled by this because they were looking for a guy 25 to 30 years old, right. a white yeah, your male, standard a former convict. Yeah. Um, Apparently, the housekeeper was very suspicious that Patsy might have accidentally murdered John yeah. Binet. And when they finally got the housekeeper on the stand, she made a very incriminating statement against Patsy, essentially saying that she was bipolar, she had multiple personalities, she'd be in a good mood, and then she'd be in a bad mood. She hmm. would get in fights with Jean Binet over stuff she was wearing or about friends coming over. And apparently, you know, all of this was to say that Patsy was an irrational person that could fly off the handle and At, do yeah, something any, like this. Anything small, she could kind of right, yeah, lose it, I guess. So the whole theory against the housekeeper basically said that the housekeeper would have <laughs> this woman. I just <laughs> I'm sorry, I just can't get over how much she's like. Oh, nope, that suitcase was not so supposed involved. to be there. Yes, the suitcase should have been a foot to the right <laughs> yes. and a couple paces forward. Yeah. So, but apparently this housekeeper led Jean Benet down into the basement that night to try to trick the employers into leaving money for her ransom. So people think it's strange, and it is, that a ransom note would request $118,000 specifically when that happened to be John's bonus that year. And you think, who would know his bonus? Well, his family members and his friendly neighborhood housekeeper, <laughs> yes. who could have potentially seen the pay stubs Easily. after the holiday bonus. Yeah. So she very well may have, according to this theory, known that he got that 118 grand bonus, requested that specific an- amount because she was always hard up for cash. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she would have had a key to the house and would have been able to commit this crime. Now. Yeah. I don't think this holds a lot of water, but it is kind of funny to think that this kind of sweet older woman would do this. Yeah, for for money. But it is interesting. So when I was watching that video again of them walking through the house, there were just paper paperwork and bills and stuff all over. And they zoomed in at one point 
in their cluttered, like, open-faced cabinet um, was just a check there written for $7,000, just like. So they, they left stuff within, you know, open to anybody that was kind of passing through could easily see. Um, the thing is, though, I don't remember where I, I saw this or heard this. Um, she had actually asked to borrow money from the Ramseys before. And they gave it to her. Right. So, so she really has yeah, no like MO. That money theory. Yeah. I, I don't know if that would really be the driver for her. Exactly. But she's definitely a character. She's a character and she's an interesting suspect to yeah. say the least. Definitely. Definitely. Um, and while we're playing dress up, do you want to go into <laughs> the friendly neighborhood Santa Claus? Oh my God, this guy's a creep and a half. Yeah, Mr. Bill McReynolds, Ugh. who obviously had a very special tie to Jean Benet oh, because yes. he wants her gift of glitter yes. in a vial that Jean Benet gave him after he made her his special friend that year. Mm-hmm. If you're not creeped out yet, get ready for oh. this. So Jean Benet gives the neighborhood Santa Claus a vial of glitter as a gift. And okay. Sorry, not to inter- interrupt you. I think it's important though to say kind of like how they are connected to him. Yes, please do. So um, she, every year at this uh, at the Ramsey house, they'd have a Christmas party. I don't know. I think this one was a couple days before, and he would always play their Santa. So they knew him, um, Jean Benet. I don't know if you have this, but on the um, on the during the party before she was murdered she actually gave him a tour of the and like took him down into the basement apparently so he knew the house he knew the family very well mm-hmm. well it's santa claus so he yes. sees you when you sleep in and oh. he knows when you're awake oh yeah he knows yeah. if you've been bad or good so yeah santa's always watching people mm-hmm. all right do not sleep on santa Ugh. but this mofo anyway gets a gift from jean benet yes. of a vial of glitter and apparently he requested that his wife mix the gold glitter in with his ashes yeah. when he died. Yeah. You know. What? Just a normal request. Yeah, he um he apparently said like uh, I guess he dresses up like Santa a lot. Um but he's like, "Yeah, I'm, I've always given presents to the kids, but this is the first time I ever got a present from one of them." Um, and he apparently had surgery at some point afterwards, and that was, like, the only thing he took in with him as kind of, like, a good luck charm. I, it was creepy. I did hear that, too. Yeah, very Ugh. creepy. Careful, don't drop the glitter into Ooh. the open body here. Yeah. Gosh, creep. you got a heart made of gold, literally. Oh, made of gold flakes. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. He's creepy. And then also his wife. Um, so... Actually, before we get into the wife, so his daughter, I want to say it was like 20-some years to the day before John Bonet was killed or found in the basement, um, his daughter and a friend actually were kidnapped. And oh, the friend was molested. The daughter wasn't. And they were returned safely. Like, they were found. But that's a little creepy with the timing. Um, and then his wife also apparently wrote a play about... A little girl who gets killed in her basement. I can't remember if it was on Christmas or not, but oh dear. even that is just disturbing. An odd coincidence and definitely creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Madeline. So next on my list is the adorable town drifter, Gary Oliva. Oh, yes. Our buddy. Yep. So he was a 32-year-old sex offender in the area when Jean Benet was found strangled. 
Um, and he's creepy. Yeah, he's... he was a convicted fucking pedophile. He was living in the area on and off when police found a magazine cutout of Jean Benet in his backpack after yeah. he was apprehended on drug charges. And this was in like 2000. Soon he got released, but there were still these weird suspicions. Why did you have this picture of Jean Benet in your backpack, you oh, freak? Well, he he's even creepier because he made a full out Helga G. Pataki shrine to her. Oh. Um he also he so he was schizophrenic too, so he he was fantastic out there. combination. Um but he also put her face on Monopoly money. Why? That's different. You know, don't mm-hmm. know. Um, and then he also wrote, uh, I think it was a poem to her called Ode to John Benet. Yeah. Well, apparently, too, Mr. Oliva had a buddy who stepped forward and said, listen, this guy confessed to me in secret and he, he's been my pal forever. He said, and quote, I heard a little girl. I heard a little girl. And supposedly this friend revealed this whole story to in touch magazine and said he was super freaked out by how the knots that were used to make the garrote that strangled right. jean benet were super similar to the ones that were used in an incident where oliva tried to choke his mother with yeah. a telephone cord you know just you're running just your running standard stuff. you get angry you grab the phone my god i mean yeah. thank and goodness we have cordless phones <laughs> yeah my goodness yeah um Ugh. he also apparently too which a lot of killers like to do he went to the vigil a year afterwards so he was there creepy um and then he also they did find i guess had a stun gun on him when he was tracked down at the boulder campus notice so, that too you know and like we said, I mean, those marks on her neck could have, could have not been right, the right. stun gun marks. But, hey, it doesn't doesn't help us case very yeah. much, Mr. Oliva. Yeah, but he was ruled out by DNA. But I do find it interesting. He he was apparently, like, down the street, literally, from her on Christmas with family or something. <sighs> so he was right there. But I actually watched – it's probably the same friend. Um, he was interviewed on Dr. Oz and – good old nancy grace was on there and this friend was kind of trying to convince her like i really think he's the guy and apparently when he gary oliva told him about um john ben- or about hurting a little girl um he told him before all the news had broken and stuff like that but nancy grace made a good point too like if he's down the block he's gonna be seeing police tape he's gonna be can go out and be like hey what's going on so you know he could know about it before anybody else so very true who knows who knows Mm -hmm. so the next one i have is the friendly neighborhood electrician is this Michael Helgoth? It's Michael Helgoth, yes. girl. And he worked in an auto salvage <laughs> It's our buddy, Michael. It's our buddy, Put Michael. Put your hands together for Michael Come on. Helgoth. Here he comes. He's from hell and he's a goth, so get he's ready. He's from hell and he doesn't want to go back. Like. <laughs> and my God. So he worked at kind of a junkyard near the house. Right. And apparently he was referred to as a hellraiser. Oh. He was so funny. He was tied to a property dispute involving the Ramses, actually. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So they think that maybe that could have been his motivation to seek vengeance and kidnap Jean Benet. Um, apparently, once he heard that he was a suspect in the case, and they 
identified him as a suspect because they found a boot print that looked similar to right. his near the Ramsey house. He supposedly killed himself right before anybody could get to him. And that death was two days after a 1997 press conference announcing that the DA was going to zero in on a new suspect. But to this day, Hal Goth's been cleared by both DNA and his death. <laughs> yeah, I mean... So that um, interview was given uh, by the DA, like you said, and it was actually constructed by a profiler to intimidate the perpetrator. That's mm. the word of the day, I guess. Yay. Um, and so I think the way they like kind of tracked him down was they'll make these announcements and then they'll look to see who commits suicide because that's right. usually what happens. And he was the like most recent one. Um, and another interesting thing about him. So like you said, he had the high tech boots, he had a stun gun. Mm -hmm. Um, and he apparently said to a junkyard buddy that, uh, in November of 96, that around Christmas time, he and a partner would be coming into about 50 or $60,000. Oh, which is right around. If you double that. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. So, and then. Apparently, he talked to the guy after the fact and was like, yeah, it didn't, you know, it didn't work out. It never panned out. Wow. So who knows? I mean, and, and the theory is that he actually didn't commit suicide because of the way that, like, the gun and the pillow and all this, like, crazy stuff was positioned. And the theory is that whoever he broke into the house with killed him because he was afraid he was going to talk. Jeez. So who knows? Who's to say? Yeah. Could go either way. Yeah. Good old Hellraiser. Razor. Good old Hellraiser. <laughs> Did you do you have the pageant dad, Todd Fuss? Um, he was a creepy guy. He was a sixty-eight-year-old. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was his wife or someone or yes. girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, his yeah, wife while guy. in prison. Meanwhile, like yeah. you're gonna take this person's word for it. No offense, right? But the baby daddy of this prison inmate at Women's Correctional Facility of Denver basically said that, you know, he played some kind of role in Jambonet's murder. And apparently their child was also part of the same pageants as Jambonet was. Right. And Todd was at some of those same locations, whatever. And apparently the baby mama, the <laughs> prison inmate, so this is, if you can yeah. follow along yeah. here, um, remembers that Todd was leaning on a door frame watching the little girls get dressed. Oh, yes. Strange, okay? And you don't really want that in your dressing room at the pageants. I'm not a pageant person, but personally... Oh, my God. Yeah, I wouldn't want a like, grown-ass th That's exactly the, what, like, the... I don't. I just don't know how people didn't think this was happening back then. Right. Like, <laughs> oh, unbelievable. Yeah. But apparently, Todd made some kind of confession that he was coming into some money right around the same yeah. time when Jean Bonnet was killed. Um, but apparently, um, the baby mama thinks that there's no way Todd could have acted alone and he must have had help from somebody interesting so there was a whole um new theory of multiple killers that sort of sprung I feel like that's from come this. up a lot now since like we got helgoth there i know we've seen that the ransom note the theory is that kind of how it was written was that it was one person dictating while the other wrote so i don't know and then the multiple dna profiles if they mean anything you know that could be multiple people um one thing, I don't think it was this guy. 
Um, I think this may have been tied. I don't know if this theory I'm going to mention was tied to anybody. Um, so apparently in one of the last pageants that John Bonet participated in right before Christmas, um, one of the judges saw this man in the audience that was like clearly very fixated, like very Aye. fixated on her. And the judge came up to, to him, assuming it was her father, and said, you must be very proud of your daughter. And he said, yes, I am. Yikes. And then, obviously, this was all over the news. She saw who the actual father was, and she's like, that's not the man who... Was creepy. Was creeping and claimed to be her father. Yuckers. Yeah, so there's a lot of creeps out there, clearly, at these pageants. Oh, big time. I mean, who goes to these things? No offense, yeah. but my God, like, come on. Yeah. Um, What man goes to these things if you're not being dragged by Ugh, your daughter? Right, right. Like, if you're not the grandpa in town that, like, oh, you gotta go see little JonBenet dance. <laughs> right, before you die. <laughs> huh. What yeah. about these crazy Law brothers? I don't think I saw anything about that. There's this other theory that apparently... The death of Jean Benet is linked to these other murders of little girls in Ooh. Colorado and Hawaii. And this retired <laughs> Hawaii. I know, random as balls, but who's to say? You know, the theory's a theory. Yeah. Um, so this retired cop believes that the murder of Tracy Marie Neef in 1984, hmm. Lacey Ruff in 1993, and Jean Benet Ramsey in 96 are possibly linked to each other. They all were between the ages of four to seven. They were all abducted. They were all killed in the same yeah. fashion. And apparently when Tracy Neef was kidnapped in 84, members of this Sean Lau family were living really close to her home in Thornton, okay. which was the same case when Lacey Ruff was abducted and killed in Kauai. Hmm. So when Jean Benet got killed, it's unclear where the Sean Lau family were based at the time. But in May that year, there was a male member of the family who was arrested for assault and domestic violence in, you guessed it, Boulder. Boulder is just teeming with creeps at it this time. It sure is, apparently. My God, it's a wonder they can keep them all in. Yeah. But so that basically means that, okay, the man could have been living in John Bonet's vicinity. Right. Even, you know, probably around next the door time. to Gary Oliva. Right, exactly. <laughs> My God. And the neighborhood Santa. Yeah. Well, the, and the electrician. I got another neighbor for you. Once. Oh, do you? Let's yes. get it. Yes. So this is, an well, probably another neighbor. So this is an interesting thing. Um, there was a theory that the source of or like a connection could be made to John Bonet's dance studio. So Ooh. apparently nine months after John Bonet was killed, um, a woman and her daughter were home alone. Uh, the husband was traveling and they're asleep, both in separate rooms, obviously. And the mother hears in the middle of the night, kind of like some disturbance or some, something sounds like it's not right in the daughter's room. And there was this guy that was dressed almost like a ninja and like all black was oh, in there trying to assault her. And the mom came in and caught him and chased him off. And he was never caught like he was never caught after that. Um, so the girl, she attended the dance studio, also lived two miles away. So wow. I don't know. With, I, I mean, I, that type of thing, though, to me, it's like. If the guy got away with it, yeah, he'd feel emboldened after what happened with John Bonet. But like, I don't know. Nine months afterwards, the press is still crazy. People are much more alert. Are you really gonna go just two miles away and try to do the same right. thing again? Come on. And also, like, how many other people 
you know, went to the same hairdresser or whatever, like, is any crime then going to be connected? Because it's like, people live in the same area. They're going to go to the same dance studio, the same hairdresser, the same whatever. Like, right. And can you, how far can you really go right. with trying like, to web out yeah. the connections? Does that mean that that's connected through the dance studio? Or does it just mean that two people happen to go to the same dance studio? Because right. it's the only one in the area. Like Exactly. So the last one is the photographer. Oh, sure. Of course. Simmons. Yes. Yes. Um, So he was the photographer for all the pageant girls and was apparently kind of creepy. Which as a pageant photographer would be. Especially a male pageant photographer. I hate to say it. What are you doing? No offense. You know, like like we're saying with like the men at these at these pageants. Like, Like, what what are you here for, buddy? Yeah, it just. Is there nothing else going on? I don't I don't like it. And the thing that was said too, like, especially back then when the Internet was kind of new. How easy would it have been because these kids are changing clothes and changing outfits for different pictures yep. for the mom to not be in the room or, you know, mm-hmm. look away or whatever. And he just snaps some of these photographs. Yeah, so, and keeps them. Yeah, it, it's creepy. Ugh. Um, So he was actually recently arrested for child pornography. And oh, I believe it's the same man. Um, He after she died, was apparently calling up these pageant moms in the middle of the night, being like, I didn't kill John Bonet. I did like like having a mental Whoa. breakdown. No after one asked she died. if you did, buddy. Yeah, sorry. I yeah. yeah. Sorry we forgot to involve you and yeah, like, pin you down as a suspect. You know, just Sheesh. tell you call people in the middle of the night when you're totally innocent. Right? <laughs> so true. I'm innocent. Out of nowhere. Okay, hey, I believe you. Hey, Mary, how are you? Well, you know. Nobody who wasn't innocent would ever do that. Right. Come on. And also to call these pageant moms. Like, I don't know. This is just a creep. Just Yeah, of all people. So um, I wanted to end on, on kind of a crazy note that is a conspiracy theory or just kind of another theory out there beyond the whole... Katy Perry is Jean Bonnet. Because <laughs> we know that's all true. You know? Obviously. Yes. Um, so her body was found with, we kind of know all the stuff like the garrote and the duct tape and all that. She also had a heart drawn on her palm. Oh. Which to me is just creepy. That is creepy yeah, as the Dickens. Like, what does that have to do with anything? Um so I looked that up. I literally just Googled it being like heart in palm. What does it mean? Mm. Um, and the independent order of the odd fellows. What? <laughs> I know. The name sounds crazier than it is. Well, <laughs> we'll see. But it's it's um, a fraternal organization that goes back to, I can't remember. I, I want to say the 1800s or something like that. Um, and it's tied to the Masons, apparently. Oh, so God. you've got your whole secret society, you know, kind of theory there. And they're, one of their main symbols that you see in everything is the heart in the palm. Wow. Which, is that like some calling card or something? Yeah, how odd are these yeah. fellows, right? I just yeah. always thought that, I I never really saw, and so here we go, because our listeners have been so awesome with the cool information that I didn't yes. know before. Um, I haven't really seen a ton about this heart in the palm and kind of like theories on it, why it could have been there. Yeah. Um, Did she draw it herself? I mean, right. I'm just thinking little kids, they, they're always yeah. doodling and yeah. who knows? Right. And that's, I, I don't know. It's one of those things where it could be something. Maybe it's not. Who knows? Wow. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So there we go. The, uh, 
it was an odd fellow for sure that did it but whether or not or a lady was... fellow true true Who's to say yeah but wow that's interesting oh my gosh yeah. I never even knew about that piece of evidence honestly yeah yeah well it's like interesting stuff like that like the victory sign off at the end of the uh ransom note yeah and the sbtc Saved by the cross yeah, yeah exactly yeah. like why why would you do that and why would you choose to identify yourself that way potentially right like what are you doing well I'll, I'll say one other crazy crazy out there um i think it was a podcast i could even be older than that um web sleuths it's like a podcast that i think that they put out and it's on youtube and somebody claims that so they think that sbtc stands for subic bay training center which hints at john ramsey's time in the philippines Mm -hmm. and the theory is that he apparently had an illegitimate son while he was over there whoa the rest of the family doesn't know about it so the theory is that this illegitimate son came over to america and John had been supporting him with his bonus every year. Oh my god! This gosh. is a, like a this, crazy. I love it. Though. I know this is one I had. I have not seen anywhere else, and it's this weird web sleuths podcast or something. So the theory is that he's supporting him with his bonus, and again, Patsy doesn't even know he exists. But this year, he decided to cut him off and was not going to give him the bonus. So he flies out. Kills Jean Bonnet, writes this letter, and asks for the bonus, essentially, in the ransom note as kind of like a calling card. It doesn't make All sense right. to me. I mean, it just, it's insane to me, so. But hey, honestly, you know what? People are very creative, and hey. Hey. <laughs> hey. A theory's a theory. Yeah. I don't know how much. A person's a person. A person's a person. <laughs> Back to our no matter how small. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so I think that's it. Cool. Well, I, for one, am kind of sad that this uh, series this is ending. so fun. This has been the Ugh, greatest. Which is not that it sounds awful. Yeah, like, that this, sounds it's bad. So fun, but. Yeah, it's just been incredible to dive into this with all of our listeners and to hear directly from all of you what your theories are. We can't thank you enough for being so invested and so much fun and for coming to us we really do want you to contact us with your theories about oh, our different yes. um, mysteries our different topics we this is what it's all about so we really can't thank you enough for being so forthcoming thanks so much for listening to today's episode of betsy boss podcast if you'd like to find us online we're on facebook at betsy boss podcast on instagram at betsy boss podcast on Twitter at Betsy Boss Pod, and our email is BetsyBossPodcast at gmail.com. Also, Betsy Boss is now on both iTunes and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please rate, subscribe, and comment. Thanks again for listening. Hold up. 